Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the word of the Lord. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So for the next, I don't know how many weeks, months, we'll be working through and I'll be preaching through the book of 1 Peter and then likely we'll move on to 2 Peter after that. These letters are a part of the New Testament canon that we call the Catholic epistles. They're called that not because the Apostle Peter was the first pope. He was not, but because they were written to many people, many churches, the universal church, not just to a single person or a single church like the letters of the Apostle Paul. The other Catholic epistles are John's letters, James, Jude, and then these letters by Peter. So the theme in a nutshell of 1 Peter is is Jesus has overcome the world, so persevere in this wicked and perverse world. Jesus has overcome, so persevere. Uh, Calvin hopefully, helpfully, summarizes the, the thrust of this letter in, his, uh, in this short paragraph. He said this about the, this book. The design of Peter in this epistle is to exhort the faithful to a denial of the world and a contempt of it, so that being freed from carnal affections and all earthly hindrances, they might with their whole soul aspire after the celestial kingdom of Christ. That being elevated by hope, supported by patience, and fortified by courage and perseverance, they might overcome all kinds of temptations and pursue this course and practice throughout their life. Again, I boil that down to the Apostle Peter Peter exhorting Christians to, to persevere and all that that entails in a wicked and perverse world, remembering Christ's finished work. Right? Perseverance always has a goal. And the goal of the Christian life is to endure the, the suffering of this life by faith and then rest in an eternal Sabbath, living forever in the benevolent presence of their creator, the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's perseverance in the midst of this wicked world that that the Apostle Peter is is encouraging the church with. 
Another commentary summarizes the theme of 1 Peter this way. His principal scope is to confirm believers in the truth, to stir them up to constancy and cheerfulness under their sufferings for it, to grow in grace and to adorn their profession by a holy walking. In other words, as Calvin, and that was uh, an older commentary by a man whose last name is Nisbet, So as those two men have pointed out, we will persevere in this life as we walk as Jesus walked. Our pursuit of holiness and God's work within us by the Spirit will be our perseverance. Right? Don't get confused by the message that we hear a lot of today, the message of cheap grace, which says that salvation in Jesus Christ forbids rigor. It forbids the pursuit of holiness in the Christian life. The Apostle Peter will blow that common mentality out of the water. Right? When we come to Christ, he bids us to die daily. And to take up our cross. He does not tell us to live for our sin and presume upon his grace after all is said and done. If I had to pull one verse from, from the letter uh, to, as a theme verse. I'd pull verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Which say this. Since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So persevere, suffer, following the example of Christ. Live for the will of God, not for your own will. Not for your own desires, not for your own flesh. And so our, that's, that's the theme. That's what, that's what the Apostle Peter is going to be hitting time and time again in this letter. But our focus this morning is, is very simple. It's this, who is Peter? And so this, this essentially is a sermon on the first word of the book of Peter. It's that, it's his name. His, his identifying of himself. Um, even that first word is significant, isn't it? Peter was not his given name. That's not the name that he had throughout much of his life. His parents gave him the name Simon. But it was Jesus who gave him the name Peter. In the Gospel of John, that's what we, we read about this, this renaming and In John 1, we read this. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. 
you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The name Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock, and Peter is just the the Greek translation, the Greek for rock. It was Jesus who gave Simon the name Peter, and we'll return to the significance of that later. So I'll use Peter or the Apostle Peter from here out as the name given to him by his creator, given to him by the Son of God himself. Simon was not a well-connected man. He was not a ruler of the Jews. He was not a man who had deep connections with the Romans who were occupying Israel during that part part of the first century. He was a blue-collar working-class laborer. He was a fisherman. Later, after Jesus' death on the cross, the Apostle Peter, with great confidence, was preaching in Jerusalem to the muckety-mucks, the high priests, the rulers of the people, and they were astonished at him. Acts 4.13 says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Interesting that that passage brings out the confidence of Peter. They were amazed at his confidence. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there today, just like back in the first century, it's impossible for our educated elite to accept the wisdom and confidence of men who have not been to college, right? Do not have graduate degrees and have somehow not bowed their knees to the unwavering truth of Darwin and Dawkins and Stephen Hawking. When we are long done talking about Richard Dawkins and his books, we'll still be talking about Fisherman Peter's letters. The religious and and political leaders of Peter's time called him uneducated and untrained. Not because he was uneducated and untrained, but because he had not been trained by them. Right? He had not gone to Yale. He had not graduated from Harvard or Princeton. And so like those uneducated masses in the flyover country, right, who have only and ever been trained in their churches, they deemed him uneducated and untrained. Yet by the time we read of the Apostle Peter in the book of Acts, filled with wisdom in the Holy Spirit, preaching boldly, refuting those who contradict, their eyes and ears can't understand how an uneducated and untrained man can be so, so educated and so trained and so authoritative. Apostle Peter, though, was educated. He was trained. He sat on this earth being educated by the one who created the earth. Right? He went to school with the Son of God. He was fed truth, not lies, and that made him dangerous to the authorities and powers who only had degrees from human institutions built on shaky foundations. Don't be enamored with the education of human institutions, dear brothers and sisters. Sit at the feet of Jesus and learn his thoughts in his word and to hell with anything that contradicts. So what of that education 
that the Apostle Peter received from, uh, from Jesus those, those three years? Was it easy education? Was it easy for Peter to graduate from the three years of discipleship with Jesus? There are lots of heights and there are lots of depths when it comes to Peter's education, weren't there? In one incident, we see both height and depth for Peter, quite literally. Perhaps this is one of the most memorable times of Peter's discipleship with Jesus. Even even if you don't know the Bible, you know this story. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. So we see, at, we see at the same time the height of Peter's faith and the depth of Peter's doubt. Right? He was the only one out of the boat who, but, but you know, he was, he was only one, but, but also the only one sinking into the depths. He's the only one who got out. He's the only one who trusted Jesus in order to do that, but he's, he's also the one who began sinking after he saw the wind and the waves. And through the course of the Gospels, that, this is what we see of Peter. Solid as a rock, and then at other times, grievously soft and wavering and unbelieving. Immediately following his, his glorious confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he, he commits one of his... His sins, he errs, he falls. Matthew 16 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. 
Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. It's going well for Peter. God has revealed, God the Father has revealed to him who Jesus is. And then it goes on and says this, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside. Right? Peter took him took Jesus aside. I, I need to talk to you for a moment. And began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Right on the heels of his confession, this strong rebuke, Jesus says to him, you are being a stumbling block to me. Height and depth right there together, told that he would be the foundation, uh, that he would be foundational in the building of the church. And then in the next breath, rebuke for having his mind set on the things of man rather than the things of God. Another time, the Apostle Peter is honored. He's raised up by Jesus. He's given, a, a, uh, he's given a, a, an honor that the other disciples are not given. He sees Jesus transfigured. But before their eyes had time to adjust to the brightness of the light of Christ, the Apostle Peter was again doing wrong and being a stumbling block. Matthew 17 says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish... I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell down. They fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came up to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. So here's Peter, honored to be in the presence of the glory of Christ, opening his mouth to reveal the depth of his misunderstanding. You do not make a tabernacle for men. You make one for God when he commands you to. Closer to the time of Jesus' death on the cross, we are given a a picture of, of Peter's great confidence. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. 
But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. And of course, we know what happened with Peter. Before even the the least connected people, the least important, the littlest of all people in all of Jerusalem, servant girls, he denies that he was one of Jesus' disciples even with cursing. And do not forget that he does so even while he sees Jesus suffering and being mocked in the temple courts. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so while the other disciples are away, Peter's there witnessing the mocking of his dear Savior. He's doing right, but even of a, a fraction of a second later, he's unwilling to identify with his teacher, the one whom Peter said previously, when many were turning their back on him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. The bitter grief of Peter, that double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I don't often recommend music, but if you have a chance to listen to a recording of Bach's St. John Passion, one of the most powerful Settings of a text of scripture is a setting of this statement about the bitter weeping of Jesus after he denied the Lord. It's just a solo voice rising and falling like the wailing of a man undone by his sin. And at this point in the discipleship of Peter with Jesus, if the story were to stop, We might think that he was the son of perdition. He was the one Jesus frequently said would would turn away from him and betray him. But with gentle forcefulness, we read of Jesus' restoration of Peter. We learn that those tears of bitterness of Peter were not like the remorse of Judas. Peter's tears were tears of repentance After his death and resurrection and a wonderful breakfast of charcoal-seared fish and bread cooked by Jesus, Jesus turns to this glorious mess of a man, Peter, 
and ask some very pointed but poignant questions. I'm really emotional this morning, and I'm not going to be able to get through this passage well. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So do you see the fruit of these exhortations of Jesus, tend my sheep, is the letter that we are beginning to work through. And the message, persevere through trials, as Jesus has done before you, is the life of the Apostle Peter. There is not a man, woman, or child alive who does not seem double-minded in their devotion to Jesus Christ. One moment you're praising God and amazed at the promises God has made to you, the the way that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world, and the next you're envying the wicked. Wishing that you could have a thousand wives like Solomon. So is it any wonder that the message of the Apostle Peter's letter would be keep going? Persevere. Follow after Christ. Arm yourselves with suffering like Jesus did. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts in drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. He was a man who was well acquainted with his sins. He was a man well acquainted with the very insanity of sin and the fragile nature of his faith. He was a man who had fallen hard and who had been restored. He was a man who continued to fall He continued to fall even after Jesus restored him. After after his glorious restoration, God had revealed to the Apostle Paul by an extraordinary method, a vision of formerly unclean animals descending on a sheet before him. And, And that was the means that God revealed to him that God was calling the Gentiles into his kingdom through faith in Christ. And Peter says this, summarizing what the vision had taught him. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew, 
to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And yet later we learn that the Apostle Paul had to get up in the Apostle Peter's face because Peter was refusing to eat with the Gentiles. In Galatians we read of this confrontation, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so the Apostle Peter, like you, like me, was a man who needed to hear continual, continual, continual exhortations to pursue God to go after holiness, to follow after Jesus, because he was a man who was well acquainted with his flesh, like most of the great ones of Scripture, right? Their sins are written large. Think of Moses. Think of Samuel. Think of King David. Think of Jonah. Think of even the Apostle Paul. But their faith in God is written larger. Right? When they sin, they repent. And the Apostle Peter does not ease his conscience by writing letters to the church that peddle in false assurance and cheap grace. And it does not matter if you persevere. It does not matter if you work out your salvation. God is Santa Claus and you're on his nice list. Peter does not send a letter like that. Now Peter exhorts us to apply all diligence and to arm ourselves with suffering and to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts and to submit to Nero and to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles and to be subject to your elders and on and on his exhortations go. And at the end of it all, he concludes, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's where he concludes in his letter. So the Apostle Peter was a sinner who got up by God's grace after every time he fell. And turned to Christ, his friend, his savior, the one who had words of eternal life. And we know that when all was said and done, that the apostle Peter persevered to the end. Confessing Christ as hope with his last breaths on earth. The fourth century historian and theologian Jerome, as is reported in Fox's book of martyrs, wrote that Peter was crucified in a particular manner. Whether this, is, this truly happened, we don't know, but it, it would make sense. 
Fox writes, Jerome saith that he was crucified, his head being down and his feet upward, himself so requiring because he said he was unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner as the Lord was. What glory, what humility. But even if he was crucified in the standard manner, it would only mean that he was following in the suffering of his glorious Savior. To the end, it seems to me the the memory of his betrayal and the grace of God and his forgiveness fueled his perseverance. Right? He was not without sin, but he would never go to another guru because Jesus had words of eternal life. So as a fellow pilgrim, as an example of a man for whom the world is not worthy, persevere. All of you, persevere. Let's pray.